This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. All of us in the longevity space, we're talking about this, we're interested in this, we're all kind of biohackers. We're all looking at data in our body, trying to optimize through the lens of longevity. How do I stay in health for longer to have better health span? And that's a journey worth collaborating on. Hello again and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. My name is Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. This episode is brought to you by Longevity Blog, where Nick Angerer simplifies complex topics to help you build a personalized and affordable approach to wellness through self-experimentation. Find Longevity Blog at nickangerer.org slash llama. That's N-I-C-K-E-N-G-E-R-E-R dot org slash L-L-A-M-A, where you can join Nick in your shared quest for maximum health span. So why does human longevity matter? Why are we striving to live as long and as well as possible? And what are we to make of the myriad tools that we have at our disposal to extend healthy lifespan? Questions that I know my guest today, Nick Engerer, wrestles with every day, or probably almost every day. Nick's aptly named longevity blog is a goldmine of information and a really fascinating insight into one man's journey to optimise his own health through self-experimentation and research. Nick, joining me from Byron Bay in Australia, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Peter, long-time fan of the show. It's an absolute pleasure to join you and your audience. Uh, you've accompanied me on many walks through the bush here in Australia through, <laughs> through um, you know, taking in all the information in your podcast. It's really helped mature my own views. So a pleasure to be a part of it. Well, likewise, your blog is fascinating and we can dive into that. Just give us a little geography lesson for Australia. Byron Bay, whereabouts are you? Yeah, it's actually the easternmost part of Australia. So it's just up at the border between the two biggest states in Australia, two of the biggest states in Australia, Queensland and New South Wales. And it is a it's actually a happening little town. It's known for its celebrity appearances. Uh, it's a surfer culture. And it's also centered in part of Australia where health and wellness are a really big part of the local business sphere. Um, between Byron up to the Gold Coast, this is where we have most of our skin clinics, um, most of the places where people can have plastic surgery, but also where they can go biohack and try new technologies of all sorts. So I'm quite at home here in Byron, and it's also one of the best places in the world to train for triathlon, which is a, a sport that I hope we'll talk a bit about today. It sounds beautiful. It also sounds very Californian. You could apply all of those things to where exactly I am right now. You're absolutely right, Peter. And in fact, I was fortunate enough to do well in the business space in, in my day job and be able to have the freedom to almost pick where I lived. My main company, Soulcast, is based in Sydney. 
And I traveled there from time to time, but I could kind of pick where I wanted to live, did some exploring around, and absolutely fell in love with it up here in the California-like Byron Bay. And Solcast is the solar power industry. That is, uh, in effect, your day job. That's right. So uh, I did a PhD studying how the weather interacts with solar radiation and how that impacts the generation of solar energy and created with uh, my co-founder, James a company that does solar forecasting where we predict how cloudy it will be just a few minutes ahead of time, through a few hours, through a few days ahead of time. And this is important for balancing supply and demand in an increasingly renewable-powered electricity grid. And that's a big passion of mine is to create a future worth living in matched with longevity, which is maximizing the time and enjoyment that I and all the, my fellow humans get to spend in this beautiful world that we're building. I can really see the synergy. So longevity, it really is a passion project, like it is in many respects. For me, I was just looking at the homepage of your blog, and it describes your vision, which you've, you've just encapsulated, really. But you say you envision a future where we can catch disease early, where data drives our daily behaviors, like what we eat and how we exercise, how we live our lives, and the role of genetic all of those different aspects, those little tenants, you could say, that go into building a full life, a full, hopefully long life. Can you tell us how you first latched on to longevity as a thing? What made you interested in the first place? I would say that coming to this concept of longevity as a thing was something that happened for me in around 2017. Uh, in terms of realizing and, and taking in information, doing some research, went on a real deep dive around the t- technologies that are going to help us live, live better for longer. And to me, I saw not only tremendous opportunity, but what I think will be a fairly seismic shift in how we approach health and wellness as a whole. And so while that was a focused year for me where I spent a lot of time researching longevity technologies and forming a view for where I think those are going in the in the very near future and in the medium-term future. It really was something that I have always had a strong interest in. I've always had a resonance with looking out for health, for seeing others look out for their health. And I've had some very close people in my life Uh, have serious challenges with disease. And I would say that those are the most formative in terms of this view of the longevity future and my real interest of it becoming a passion project, as you've described. And, you know, when I was younger, my mom had some real strong challenges with her health, including a brain aneurysm that they found by chance that likely would have ruptured and ended her life prematurely. In my late 20s, my wife at the time and two of my close friends in the same year all uh, were diagnosed with cancer in their late 20s. This is very unusual for someone to have three people in one year. And as I went through those experiences in each case, the earlier the disease was detected, the more likely the outcome of being able to be healthy again was. And in each of those cases, you know, my, my mother's aneurysm was found by accident through another procedure. My wife at the time was pregnant and found, they found that there was some, there was tumors and some things going on. Long, complicated story. Um, they found that out before she gave birth, uh, thankfully, because she could have actually had some complications in birth. 
where she could have lost her life, but they found this through scans. My close friend Aaron, who I talked about in the blog, had a brush with colon cancer. And in all these cases, the earlier you define the disease, the more likely it is that the amazing plethora of technologies we develop to deal with disease are available to you and the more likely they are to be able to cure that disease or to prevent it from having a life-ending consequence. So early detection is key. And that has been a very formative part of Longevity Blog. And in fact, I think we'll go into some of that, where you, you really look at the elements of technology that we can pull together to provide that early detection. That's the starting point for what I call this you know, longevity technology development moving forward, because we're, we're at the point now where we can catch disease quite early, not only treat it well, but the earlier we catch it, the better we treat it. So it really is uh, pursuing those interventions that can hopefully prevent those diseases, those very typical killer diseases of, well, not necessarily old age, as, as you have implied. These diseases can affect people at, at many different ages. But big picture, the goal is to live as long as you can. This is why we use the phrase health span with full health, physical, mental health, to be able to enjoy life, to be able to enjoy those around you to maybe share your wisdom of life as you get older with uh, your successors, maybe your children, your, your grandchildren. And what certainly from my perspective, what it isn't about, although some people confuse it, it isn't about eternal life. It isn't about living forever. That is interesting as a concept, and maybe it'll come one day, but I don't think it's going to come in my lifetime or, or your lifetime. My focus is, is that health span. And if we can get to average age 100 rather than 79 or 80 as it is now, I think that would be a great thing. I love that focus, Peter. And it's something that we both share. I think it's the most important aspect of longevity, which I think there's two major components of in terms of thinking about advancing longevity. And that is health span, the number of years that we live healthfully. And then there's lifespan, the total number of years that we're able to live, of which we want the most of it to be healthy. And while I think there are some really exciting things in terms of extending lifespan, and you know there is a, a sect of people in longevity enthusiasts who like to talk about immortality and merging our minds with computers and there's all sorts of things that can happen in that space and we can stay open to them. The most valuable, the most practical, the most um, relevant part of this discussion is health span. And this is, again, comes back to why I've had such a formative experience in having people in my life become unwell. Because when you're unwell, you want nothing more than to be well again. That is all you want. And when you're well, the world is available to you and you can explore all the things you want to. It's an easy space to take for granted. But you don't learn that lesson of how valuable that is until you have these encounters with mortality, with being unwell. And health span is all about the quality of life that we can have, the duration of that quality of life. That's where the most dividends are to be gained. And in fact, that's where technology now is most relevant. And is increasingly, as we develop more longevity technologies, those will be focused on health span. And this is why this is the most relevant part of the discussion. It's something, a passion that both you and I share. And it is a focus of what I'm trying to do at Longevity Blog, which again, as you said at the beginning, is 
based on my own personal experience and my own experimentation, but really trying to do that in a way that helps others do the same so that they can form a view of what's actually impacting health span and how to personally invest in their health span as an individual. That is the most important part. Exactly. And the other clear message from what you've said already and, and from looking at the blog is that we all need to be proactive and, and much more proactive in terms of our own health by looking at the options and applying them to ourselves. Because in the world that we live in, it isn't going to come to us. We're not going to acknowledging all the well-meaning doctors and, and health systems in the world. The proactive approach isn't going easily to come to us without us working for it, is it? No. In fact, this is one of the most important fundamental aspects of what I call a longevity mindset. And it is the realization that your health starts with you and you must take ownership of it. No one is going to come do that for you. And I would say adding on to that, not only once you start to view that journey as something that you're responsible for, increasingly you are empowered on that journey. And what I think is really important in, in longevity mindset is moving the needle, not just over the arc of like away from somebody else is responsible to that to, oh, I have responsibility, but all the way over to, but I can make a difference. I can make a difference in my health span. I can take ownership of my body and it will mean that I can live more healthfully for longer and not insignificantly longer. This is something that we can impact by five to 10 years. That is five to 10 more years at the end of your life, which is a very rich and rewarding part of your life that is often filled with grandchildren or great grandchildren and a real mature view in the world. And actually science, psychology science tells us are some of the happiest years of your life. So this is what you're working toward Having that mindset of not only can I be proactive, take ownership myself, but that that will reward me. And the longer that I stick around, the more technologies will be there to help me stay well. That is the view that I want to help people embrace is see that not only you're responsible for it, but doing something about HealthSpan and being proactive about it in a smart way, you can really affect your health span. That is now more possible than ever. And every decade you're alive, every year you're alive, it's becoming more possible to do even better. So it's worth sticking around, as I say. Exactly. And accepting all of what you've just said, many people may agree with you. But then the first question probably is, well, what do I do? And I suppose this is where your kind of work comes in, the longevity blog and your own self-experimentation. Others are doing the same thing because there are myriad, as I mentioned at the beginning, myriad interventions that we can apply to ourselves and some of which cost a lot of money, others of which, of course, are free and much of exercise and diet. Well, diet isn't free, but you, you don't need to spend a lot of money is what I'm saying to make significant changes to your lifestyle. So, Let's dive into what you're trying to do, and that is, I guess, sift through that information to find what works and what doesn't work. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. 
Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Yes, this exact problem is relevant to everyone listening because what is happening as we gain more technologies that we can leverage for our health, as that occurs, it's a wonderful thing. More resources. There's so many things we can already do from wearables to apps to personalized supplements to longevity-focused clinics and doctors. But as that resource proliferation continues, which it will with an accelerated pace, there's ever more options to you. And that means that all those options will then also be competing for your dollar with increasingly convincing marketing messages. And that's the practice of good business. And many of the companies in this space are you know, very ethical companies, really actually communicating outcomes that are backed by science. A great company you talk a lot about is Amazentis and the Timeline Nutrition brand with Urolithin A. They're really bringing the science to a supplement. But still, that doesn't mean that you should take Urolithin A just because the science is good, right? We have to take it all the way back to that individual aspect of this journey and figure out what works for you and also think through a lens of a broader strategy. I'd like to spend some time talking about this, which is not only what things work for me, but what things should I be working on first? Where's the place I should start with, again, this expanding resources that are available to us, ever more convincing science and marketing messages. This creates a really challenging landscape for the longevity enthusiast, the health span enthusiast, the regular wellness warriors and people among us who just want to be well of what do I choose for me? So what I'm trying to do is set an example of how I'm doing that myself, provide some ways and some tools others can use, trying to help save people some money by going to these companies and saying, hey, give me the best discount you can on your product so other people can try it and see if it works for them for them themselves. But doing this through a lens of knowing where do I start. So in fact, Nick, you just anticipated my next question was going to be, where did you start? And I think where you started perhaps is a good guide for the rest of us in terms of making these crucial decisions. It is quite a, a plethora of information. It's a minefield if you're going in from a blank piece of paper, isn't it? So where did you start in terms of analysing your own personal needs and the kind of experimentation that you've done? I started by going down what I call the premium healthcare route. So I went to the Health Nucleus, which is a longevity-focused health clinic in San Diego, owned and operated by Human Longevity, Inc., um, which is a company that's really investing in this space, particularly on the genomics and genetic side of longevity analysis, but also in the analytical technologies to be able to scan your body with an MRI, so a full-body MRI, Check your brain, check your heart, look through your whole body and 
tell you whether or not there's any cancer or any abnormalities in your body. And in fact, tying back to the example from my own mother, they would have detected that and that brain aneurysm um, risk zone. You know, I think it, the, the proper term is an embolism. It's like an enlarged part of the circulation structure in the brain. I have this beautiful 3D image of my vasculature in my brain that, that was taken from the health nucleus that shows all of mine is healthy. So I started by doing that. And I was very fortunate to have interacted with the health nucleus twice now, first in May of 2018, which created some of the formative material for my blog, talking about that experience, interviewing their medical director, diving into the technology, um, going back again in January of 2020, just before we ended up in this travel shutdown from COVID. I luckily snuck that in and got to have another encounter with that clinic. And it's, it's an amazing place full of great people and good technologies that helped me make some really important changes in my health, which uh, again, will be some of the first steps I recommend to the listeners. But I don't actually think that's the right place for everyone to start, Peter. And the reason for that is it simply is outside the scope of most people's budget. Yeah, I was going to make exactly that point that almost applied devil's advocate here, that it, it, it sounds fascinating. It sounds very revealing, potentially, of your state of health. But for exactly that reason, most people probably can't afford it. No, it's a, it's a big ask, even for those who can't afford it, to fly to San Diego, stay overnight, um, go for a full battery of tests, do the follow-up. The mental load of the concern about what happens if they find something is a real big barrier for all of these technologies. It's a psychological challenge in, in all of these examples. And what is important to recognize is, yes, yes, that is expensive. That's what I'm calling the premium route. I started there. It was a great holistic check of the body, provided a good, solid, complete health check outside of a few potential cancers esophageal cancer is a great example. They can detect almost anything. They looked at my metabolic condition. They looked at the brain, looked at the heart. This is amazing. But it cost, at the time, it cost a few thousand dollars. And now that program's actually gone to an annual subscription, which includes more technologies, and it's become an order of magnitude even more expensive. So it's further out of reach than it was before. So there may be an opportunity for, and I think this is a business opportunity, and it's something that... Um, other doctors in this space are working on. In fact, it's something that you and I might get to play with later in this year, and that is doing those longevity MRI full body scans um, with a longevity focused doctor outside of a fancy clinic in a regular hospital with some decent analytics. That might become more affordable. But let's move away from that one example and talk about where the listeners should start. This is actually something you could do for free. And I have a limited amount of resources on Longevity Blog that I will continue to invest in that help users get started with this. And the first thing that you should do if you want to think about your longevity, and it's completely free, is to fill out a health questionnaire on your family history. This is free. It will give you some great starting points in terms of what your own longevity risk is likely to entail. It won't tell you everything, it's not going to give you the complete picture, but if you build out a history of what has happened with your parents, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles, related aunts and uncles, you will begin to see a picture of what may be in store for your own health. And 
This is not uh, a holistic picture. It won't capture all of your risk. But in many cases, there will be patterns. And I will give you an example of a pattern that I saw in my own family. And that actually came into spinal health. So my grandmother, um, my mother, and another related family member have all had, as they've aged, issues with cervical stenosis, which is a narrowing of the spinal column. And your nerves travel through the middle of your vertebrae, and those vertebrae are growing more bone and shrinking. It's, stenosis is referring to like almost a constriction, which can end up resulting in nerve damage, the loss of function. You know, with example, in the neck, you can lose the ability to grab things, to feel things. And so I saw that there was a pattern. And so what I've done is then gone and worked with a professional. I went and I have a, a chiropractor whom I trust. I wouldn't say all chiropractors are great, but the one that I have, I have a great relationship with. He's got a state-of-the-art x-ray machine in his facility. We did an x-ray of my neck. We've created a care plan. I'm actually working on going from having a straight neck to a neck with a more healthy curve in it through some exercises and things that I'll put up on Longevity Blog later this year. And taking a proactive stance in this case could mean that in my case, I can avoid that issue, which builds up over decades. It's a structural problem. It's a uh, limiting problem in terms of your function, which is really important to preventing frailty and staying robust into later age, age groups because you got to be able to move your body. You got to have good re reflexes. You don't want that, that nerve circuitry to be constricted at all in that case. So here's an example of looking at family history, pulling something out way ahead of time and knowing that's in my risk profile. That is a longevity risk for me. How do I manage that risk? Talk with a medical professional, start thinking about it ahead of time. Many other examples could exist for the listeners, including things, very common things like cardiovascular disease, seeing patterns in family of that, type 2 diabetes developing later in life, knowing there's a predisposition for that in your family. It's completely free. It gives you the point where you should start because that's, that's the low-hanging fruit. That's the most obvious thing. And it's a place where you can make a real difference the earlier that you start. And it's almost obvious, isn't it, when you spell it out like that? And it's probably, there's no surprise, therefore, that one of the first things that a doctor will ask you to do when you sign up with a, a new practice is to fill out a, a questionnaire. And I, I suspect a lot of people go into doing that questionnaire with a little bit of impatience. So we've got to get through all of these questions. You tick all of these boxes. But you've just beautifully explained the huge significance of that, and especially when it comes to those those big potential killer diseases of old age, like heart disease and like some cancers, that uh, just a, a little bit of awareness up front. And the fact that you're the person that's being aware and perhaps drawing your doctor's attention to these things, perhaps before even they realize it, could be hugely beneficial. This is a great, what you just said is exactly the point, is it before your doctor even realizes it. Your doctor, there's a lot of tension that can exist in the longevity space between people and their doctor because they're frustrated with the system. Um, they're frustrated with how healthcare works. But a proactive person is not going to let that stop them from talking to their doctor and going and trying to get the best they can out of it because most doctors want to help you. Most doctors want to look out for your health. And particularly when you take something as practical as a health questionnaire, which is the next step you should do with the health questionnaire is go talk to your doctor and say, hey, look, I've identified in my family that there's early stage cardiovascular risk, for example. I would like to be proactive on that. What can I be doing? Your doctor will support you. You know, they'll be almost be amazed and so happy. Some doctors are happy to have that happen to them. I've had doctors that I've interacted with or 
other folks that I've known have gone and done this with their doctor and their doctor's almost excited for like a relieved to have a different perspective. Um, there are the subset of people who are annoyed and say, go away, don't bother me until you're sick. But there's a lot more goodwill in that space than you, than you might first expect. And this is a very practical first step that can help the system work for you. And that proactive mindset of doing it and trying to make the medical system that's available to you work for you is also the place you can go next in terms of making your dollar go the furthest it can. You know, what blood tests can you get? What annual checks can you get that are covered by your insurance or by the Medicare program in your country? Real practical, tangible, longevity-focused results can come out of this exercise. So it's a great place to start. Right. And two other pillars, and I've already mentioned this, but two other key pillars of good health are your diet and your exercise regime, or, or indeed whether you exercise at all. And I often say, you know, we could stop all of the science now and just apply what we know about diet and exercise and its importance and its significance to our longevity. The challenge, I guess, is getting people to realize that and, and not just, oh, yes, I kind of know about it, but to realize it and then apply it to themselves so it can make some sort of practical difference in their lives. The, I love those two points, and it follows on really naturally from the starting point, because specifically exercise, no matter what risk you show up with in your longevity plan, your assessment of family history, the other tools that you can use to build out that picture, like genetic risk profiling. I talk about a company, uh, Self Decode, and they're really actually breaking some new ground in terms of that personalized risk profile. In, in genetic reports that can help you see different diseases in your risk for those longer term age-related diseases like cardiovascular disease, neurodegenerative disease, metabolic disease. And, and if you engage with that and you start to form a strategy around how am I going to avoid or manage my risk or avoid those age-related diseases as best I can, exercise will be in there no matter what. Exercise is the most important thing we can do with our body. And it ties in really nicely to my first visit to the health nucleus. So I shell out a few thousand dollars, go into the state-of-the-art clinic, full body MRI, full blood panel, complete genetic sequencing, a bunch of other different things I get to engage with, testing my balance, EKG to check my heart signals. What comes out of all of that when I meet with my health nucleus doctor to discuss the results? Oh, Nick, you know, you're not doing enough exercise. You need to do more <laughs> heart-pumping, cardiovascular-focused exercise. And that doctor, I write about this on, on Longevity Blog, she walked the talk. She was yeah, maybe late 40s, early 50s, and she was fit as a fiddle. She came in the, that day and said, I just ran 40 minutes up and down the boardwalk here in San Diego before I came into work today. I do that a few times a week. And this is what you need to do, Nick. You need to get your heart pumping a few times a week for 30 minutes at least, a few times a week. And the fact of the matter is I it wasn't doing that. You know, I've gone to the state-of-the-art clinic. I wasn't doing that basic thing. So what do I learn from spending, from shelling out these thousands of dollars? The most important actionable thing I come away with, there was two things. One was working on my diet, which we'll talk about. And the, but the first one was do more of that heart pumping exercise. And that, Peter, changed my, my life. I have not, I've, I walked away from that saying, if I'm serious about my longevity, I'm going to do that. And it was challenging for me to 
get in that space because I I loved strength training. I loved lifting weights. Been doing that for almost two decades now, and I love that side of the exercise. I really enjoy walking. I love going hiking, but it was that heart pumping, that cardiovascular system training that I'd never really connected with. It felt like I had to go sweat it out in a heart pumping, you know, Zumba class or on the bike, all these things that I didn't really like that felt fairly miserable to me. And the key um, for getting that development in the cardiovascular space was finding something, an exercise that I love or that I really like or I enjoy and start doing, start there. That's what you got to do. You don't do the things that make you suffer and you don't like, you won't keep doing those. You got to find the thing that you enjoy that can get that heart pumping goodness, as I call it, going to tell your heart to be strong and to get your body circulating more blood um, to through your whole body so your vascular system builds up because this is how we deliver nutrition throughout our body and clear out waste. We have to have that circulature, uh, circulation system in our body to be um, robust, healthy, dilated with a strong heart to pump it for our longevity um, as, a, as a first principle. We need to have that. And so you can go to the most fancy longevity clinic in the world. They'll come back to that very point. And you've talked about this in several podcasts and including a real advocacy for walking. And that's where I say, if people aren't doing anything right now, start there. Yeah. Get walking. If you've got pain when you walk, get with a physiotherapist, fix that pain. You can do it. Get walking because walking can take you so far in that fitness journey. Because as soon as you can walk around the block, you can walk around the block twice and then you can walk around the neighborhood and then you can start walking up hills and get that heart pumping. And it becomes something that everybody... Um, is it's accessible to almost everyone walking. And that's where you start. I couldn't agree more. And I used to do a lot of triathlons, a lot of marathons. As I've grown older, I do fewer long distance, hugely energetic runs or bike rides. I still swim quite a lot. But walking is my thing. And uh, the key to walking is to make it a routine so that you, you don't think about it and every day come to the point that you say, oh, I haven't done my walk yet. You basically get up in the morning and you do the walk. And in my case, it's before 9 a.m., it's before breakfast, it's on an empty stomach because I find it easier to get up the hills that way. As you say, your heart is pumping, your, your heart rate is pumping, and you feel great when you get back. And because it's part of your routine, and admittedly, having a couple of dogs in my case helps hugely because if you don't go for that walk, there's always someone there with four feet who's going to tell you that you should and why it's a good idea. But basically just get it. And you know, the phrase, just do it. It's been used by others, but it is totally applicable to this. Just get out and, and walk and you feel great at the end of the day. And it's so easy to get those 10, 15,000 steps a day almost without thinking about it. It's a beautiful illustration of this, and I can hear your enthusiasm for that in your own experience, and you're right about the routine. It's so important to get that into routine. And that, again, is at the basics. That's, that is at that fundamental level of what do I do first and what that doesn't cost me any money. Uh, get walking. Um, and you can take that so much further. If you're someone like me who wants to go to the absolute optimum uh you can you can take that as far as you want. I started with walking. It turned started turning into running. Then I started getting back in the pool like I did when I was younger. And now I'm a triathlete, and it's something that I I want to take until you know I'm in those later decades of life because I see others doing it. They inspire me, and it's preserving a lot of function in the body, which is one of the primary things that exercise can do for you. 
Um, I do think you need to add some strength training in there beyond just walking, particularly in the older Agreed. age groups, because frailty is our is one of our biggest issues. Once we escape those age-related diseases, when we build a strategy that helps us avoid those, we get into later life, our biggest issue starts to become frailty. And that is about the body losing strength and function because of not being used. If you use your body, your body will stay strong. If you tell your body to be strong, it will listen. It doesn't matter at what age that is. And there are some tremendously inspiring examples of this. I can't remember the name of the woman on your show who actually documents these examples, but there maybe you can throw that in the show notes or you can toss it in now. But she was talking about how many people are out there as examples of what you can do when you're older. Look to those people and be that person later in life. You can do it too. I agree totally. I, in fact, I've probably had several guests making that exact same point that uh, there is a variety of different ways you can achieve these things. And we're all individual. That's the other point that so many guests make, that we're all individual. We all respond to different types of, of, of stimulus. And it's a matter of figuring out what is best for you. Yeah, find what you love because you won't do it otherwise. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Find what is best for you. And uh, well, you mentioned diet, or I probably mentioned diet to start with as, as being one of the other key pillars alongside exercise. What have you done to try to figure out what is best for you? Diet is probably the most controversial area that I dive into in this podcast, Well, maybe supplementation is as well. Do you have a, a meat-heavy diet? Do you have a keto diet? Do you have a plant-based diet? There are so many different variations on a theme. It's absolutely bewildering, isn't it, to most people as to, quote, what is the best diet? This is a great example of that marketing messaging problem, and particularly because dietary strategies and, and diets are in such a mature phase. We have, you know, any diet you can think of, there's a, there's a way to engage with that. There's a person, there's influencers who are doing that and they feel great. And there's people providing anecdotes about how it changed their body and cured problems for them. It doesn't matter which way you go. It's the same. You can go fully carnivore. You hear that you go fully fruitarian and eat just fruit, which is almost the complete opposite. You can find that. You go to keto, you find the same thing. Vegan, vegetarian, the same messages, the same anecdotes, the same pitch that this is the best diet. We need to back away from that completely because if you were to look at all those things and they're all conflicting, what are they telling you? They're telling you that there's some something missing here. And what I think is missing is that these anecdotes and these people who are advocating for these diets tend to be ones whose bodies have responded really well to that diet. There might be some quackery in there. There might be some misinformation. But if we go on the assumption that the people in this space are genuinely trying to share a message of what's worked for them, they're genuinely trying to share their view of the science and the view of dietary and nutrition guidance and what they think is best, and they have clients who it's worked for, that all can be true at the same time, but it doesn't mean it's right for you. So how do you figure out what's right for you? And this is a very interesting space for me personally because I've tried, I've tried all the diets. I've tried all the diets, Peter. The only one I haven't tried that's a bit has been a fad recently is carnivore, and it's just because I'm I don't have any desire to do that to myself. I heard how Joe Rogan described his two weeks of carnivore switchover. No, thank you. <laughs> but the main point coming out of this is that we have this individualization problem. How do you find what works for you? That's 
multifaceted. And I think we, we need to take uh, a bit of time here to talk about how we might do that. And I know, Peter, I know you've done a lot of searching around for an optimal diet for yourself. I'm sure there's an example there where you've tried introducing a food or you've tried a diet and it you've been able to tell, you've been able to see in your body how it responds to doing one diet or another. I like to often ask people for an example of that from their own personal life. Do you, do you have one you could share? What I would say to that is I think the first decision you've got to make is what do you like eating? And there are certain things that we all just despise and, and couldn't possibly contemplate that being our diet. And in my case, actually, you could say conveniently, that has been meat. Even as a kid, I didn't like eating a lot of We ate a little bit of meat, but not a huge amount. And that has continued throughout my life. And I've now got to a point where I better understand what I'm eating and, and the benefits. In my case, of a, of a plant, mostly plant-based diet, it's a mostly low protein plant-based diet so i'm getting my protein from from vegetables and from beans and peas the legumes and eating minimal animal protein a little bit of dairy in my case i think is fine i actually like dairy that's okay i think you've got to enjoy your food with a certain sensibility about the big picture and what you're consuming but you can't pursue a diet that you might think is good for you, that you're actually going to hate eating because it won't last. It just won't continue. So I could give you a gazillion examples of foods that I just can't stand eating, some of which are actually very healthy. I don't really like garlic. I don't like onions. Uh, they're actually quite good for you, I think, in my understanding. But I could never eat a diet full of onion and, and garlic. So you kind of mold what you eat to what's actually going to work. But then you figure out what those food items are, and then you can really drill into how much you eat, when you eat, which is hugely important. I do do time-restricted eating. I try not to eat beyond six or seven in the evening, get up in the morning, do my big walk without having breakfast, and then spend a few hours during the day when I have my couple of major meals. That works for me. It might not work for you. This is so wonderful, Peter, because it ties back to what we just talked about with exercise, which is if you, where you're going to start, you got to start with the things that you're going to enjoy doing, the things you know you inherently like. Um, and many of those things come out when you're a child. Like I, I love swimming. It's one of the reasons I like triathlon so much. I did that when I was younger. Same concept applies here to diet. If you hate it, you won't keep doing it. You've got to find what you like doing and you've got to find what works for your body. And a lot of that is a psychological benefit because food connects into our wellness on a level much beyond just the body. We are fueling the body. We're providing the body with the nutrition it needs. But food is culture. Food is um, sharing with others. Food is an emotional experience. And we have to acknowledge that. So we can't be eating something we don't like. We got to love our food. We have to be nourishing our mind and our body at the same time. So it's so important to start there. Now, there's caveats to that because you might really like some foods, but your personal biology won't be responding well to that and you might not be able to see. So for example, I've had to modify my own diet, which since you asked, I'll just point out is a lot of different plants. I'll talk a bit about the diversity of plants if we have a, t if we have a second here. Uh, a lot of plants, a significant amount of clean carbohydrates because I'm an athlete and I have to eat actually four or five times a day. I eat smaller amounts to fuel my athletic training. And then I eat meat, but I try to have lean red meat once a week and then eat a lot of fish, maybe eat some chicken and make sure I have meals that are fueled by plant protein alone. 
So it's a limited amount of protein intake from animals. And I have largely eliminated dairy completely. And the way that I've learned that is through observing my body and seeing my body's response. I love yogurt. I love cheese. But Me too. I have to have had to, and I love a nice, you wouldn't like this one, but I love a nice fatty, juicy steak as well. But if I eat too much saturated fat, my LDL cholesterol levels are too high. And that puts me in a risk profile that I'm not comfortable with. There's a lot of conflicting views on saturated fat and HDL, LDL, C, or HDL, LDL cholesterol in the diet world. But the evidence is resoundingly in the favor of managing your LDLC level, particularly for people who have certain types of lipoproteins, which are the proteins being carried around in those cholesterol molecules, those cholesterol transporters, that predispose them to cardiovascular disease. And you have to go beyond that panel to measure the number of very small particles, and in particular, some that are known to be uh, more dangerous. I talk about this in the blog, actually. Lipoprotein A is a genetic lipoprotein that predisposes people to early cardiovascular disease. And in my case, eating a keto diet through the levels of my LDLC up very, very high, and they also meant that I was over the threshold for those very low-density lipoproteins, those small lipoproteins that are particularly deadly in terms of cardiovascular disease development over time. So I have, through blood work and some self-information, talking with my doctor, been able to experiment with different diets. And it's actually a low-saturated fat, meat-inclusive, mostly plant, a significant amount of carbohydrates that go up and down according to my training, and a lot of very good fats like olive oil, macadamia uh, nut oil, avocados, that uh, make up my diet today. And that was done through knowing what I like to eat, taking out some things that I do like to eat a lot and reducing the number of times I eat those based on my blood work and knowing, you know, longer term, coming back to that longevity strategy, where my risk appears to be. My body seems to have high levels of LDL-C. It seems to mean that over time I will have some exposure to the risk of cardiovascular uh, disease, particularly the the um, atherosclerosis, which is, um, I won't go into the details of that, but this is basically what's happening in your arteries in terms of um, creating cardiovascular disease risk over time. So I have to manage that. So you got to build a diet that you like, that's delicious for you, that is supported by some evidence in terms of body metrics. Blood work is a great example. And then you also need to not eat too much, which I think is a fairly obvious one. We can note that in our own body mass index. But more importantly, not everyone will be gaining weight who has an unhealthy metabolic profile. So keeping an eye on your blood sugar, which is something you could do buying a blood sugar unit off of Amazon or from your local pharmacy and testing your own glucose when you're fasted in the morning to get an idea of how your fasted glucose levels are responding is another important aspect of that process. So it's what you love, it's data-informed, and it is maintaining the proper balance of intake to output. Yeah, I wore a continuous glucose monitor recently, and the main conclusion at the end of it was that I probably didn't need to wear one full-time because everything actually looked pretty good. But it was fascinating just looking at the data, and especially your, your levels of glucose on waking up in the morning, which is a huge sign of your 
your health as in terms of your metabolism and, and how you're, you're managing your glucose. We are running out of time, Nick. I suspect we're going to do a lot more of these because we've only really just touched the surface. You're hopefully going to visit California later this year. We will get together. We will, I think, do some video together on your latest exploits in terms of pursuing your own health. So I'm looking forward to doing that. One thing I just want to very quickly ask you about and that is supplementation because it is something we haven't delved into in this discussion and i think we'll talk about it in greater length in the future but you've looked a lot at nad and you mentioned earlier frailty and muscle health is one of the key issues as we get older and very oftentimes the increased frailty of a human being is the beginning of the end in terms of their mobility and almost a a major red flag of end of life, at least that slowdown that precedes end of life. Just tell us briefly what you've been doing with NAD, what its significance is, and and some of the experiments that you've carried out with yourself. NAD um, is referring to our cellular energy levels. And in the longevity space, there has been a very quick uptick in the interest of NAD precursor molecules and supplements that can help raise our NAD levels, which through that lens of thinking is something that can help us stay healthier for longer. And I work as an advisor to a company called Do Not Age. Alan Graves was a recent guest on your show. And through collaborating with them, I've been testing different NAD boosting molecules, uh, namely NMN, nicotinamide mononucleotide, and nicotinamide riboside, and then also doing blood tests of my NAD levels. And uh, I'm most of the way through that experiment now. I'm trying a few additional options, and I'll be putting some results up on Longevity Blog later this year, probably around June 2022. And what I'm learning through that process and working with the developers of that NAD testing technology is that, once again, everyone is different. So I'm not going to – I'll release some results on that later. I'm not going to comment on those molecules directly, but it will be one of those things where – Again, self-experimentation is key, which is a theme on Longevity Blog, is how do we run a self-experiment? How do we know that the supplements we're choosing are working? And I have, as a part of my philosophy, an incredibly disciplined approach. And I will not take a molecule, will not take a supplement, unless I can measure its benefit. And that doesn't mean it has to be quantitative in, in a blood test and a number. It can be qualitative in terms of how one feels. But particularly with how one feels, we're very exposed to placebo effect, particularly for things that are boosting NAD, because everyone knows that it's supposed to boost their cellular energy. So they'll all tell you, oh, I feel more energetic taking this molecule. We can't rely on something that simple. We have to be a bit smarter about that. And the reason this is so important is because in the longevity space, if we're going to add something to our stack, which is referring to the molecules and supplements you're taking... You're going to be doing that for decades. That is a significant financial investment. You need to know that that is working for you so that you can continue to justify that investment. So this focus on self-experimentation and getting good data points through a bit of research on how to measure whether something is working for you is absolutely essential to this journey. So I play around a bit with biological age testing on on the blog. I've done that with some diet interventions. I've done that testing... Uh, nicotinamide mononucleotide, which did appear to improve my biological age. And this whole idea of self-quantification and the tools we have, 
like ordering your own blood test without a doctor, for example. Some technologies like NAD testing, looking at another one where you can test your diet by breathing into a device called a Lumen device, and using those quantification technologies to justify what you're doing, how you're making those changes, and to know that you should do them over the long term is absolutely essential to the supplementation process. So there's a lot of examples. There might be something we could work through in more detail in future collaborations because I think it's important for your listeners to learn how to do. In the meantime, I do have some good examples on Longevity Blog, as I just mentioned, that hopefully will help people start on their own self-experimentation journey. Because I think all of us in the longevity space who are talking about this, who are interested in this, you know, we're, we're all kind of biohackers. We're all looking at data in our body, trying to optimize, and particularly in this community, through the lens of longevity. How do I stay in health for longer to have better health span? And that's a journey worth collaborating on. So um, this has been a pleasure, Peter. Thanks so much for doing this with me today. It's been my pleasure as well. And I wanted to raise that issue because I knew you were doing that kind of work and certainly looking forward to looking at the blog and looking at the data. And, and you're absolutely right. You need to delve into the data in some depth to fully understand it and then be able to apply it to yourself. Likewise, Nick, I've really enjoyed this fascinating work that you're doing. Looking forward to meeting you later on this year. We'll talk more and good luck with everything you do. Thank you, Peter. I'm sure we'll continue to collaborate and uh, share with your audience how they can personalize their own longevity strategy. And if you want to check out the details further of Nick's longevity blog, I'll put the details into the show notes for this episode of the Live Long and Master Aging podcast at our website, llamapodcast.com. That's double L-A-M-A, podcast.com. You'll also find there a transcript of this conversation. The Llama Podcast is a Healthspan Media production. You can follow us in social media at Llama Podcast. You can contact me by direct message at Peter Bowes. Do take care. And thanks so much for listening. Flexbeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rud. Whenever you put the Flexbeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibers that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. Flexbeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a Flexbeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.